You have the Upgraded Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Sotelo. And in this show, I'm going to bring you Jacob Espinoza. Jacob is a leadership coach and mentor. He has taken all of the lessons that he's learned in his corporate gigs, and he's applying it to people outside of his corporate gig to help them become better leaders. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're leading teams of people, this is going to be a great show for you because Jacob is going to drop a ton of wisdom and knowledge on all things leadership. So let's buckle in and go for a ride with me and Jacob Espinosa. Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Upgraded Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Sotelo. The Upgraded Life is my personal project where I help people realize and reach their potential. I've been a professional helper for 20 years. Here's what I'm convinced of. The life that you have right now and the life that you want tomorrow is a product of your personal mindset, mission, and movement. Each episode of the Upgraded Life podcast is going to give you something that you can do as soon as the episode is over to upgrade your personal mindset. Your mindset informs your mission. Your mission tells you how to move every single day. And together, that is the upgraded life. All right, we have another episode of the Upgraded Life podcast. I am grateful and excited for my guest today. It is Jacob Espinoza. That name may sound a little bit familiar because I actually had his dad on a few weeks back and that episode is already available. But we're not talking about David Espinosa. We're going to talk about Jacob Espinosa. And Jacob does lots of things. He is active in the same community that I am here in Salem, Oregon. And he describes himself as a leadership coach and a consultant. We're going to dive into that, but I don't want to steal any thunder from him. Jacob, so much, uh, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it, Nick. I know we've been been talking about it for a while, so I, I appreciate you being patient and glad we can make it happen. Absolutely. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Absolutely, man. Merry Christmas to to you as well. All right, man. So let's let's dive into it. Um, I know that over the last couple of years, where you and I have been touching base and we've met up a, a time or two, I know that you have had a major focus on leadership. So. I know your story, but I want to kind of hear the here and now, what's Jacob doing? But tell me, re remind me why leadership became the thing that you are so passionate about and so interested in. Yeah, I think um, looking back at entering the job market, um, looking back at coaches that I worked for, I, I really reflected on the difference in how I felt my performance when I worked for somebody that I viewed as, as, as exceptional in their role and somebody that just didn't, didn't, wasn't, you know, had had some opportunities and maybe lacked the self-awareness, um, lacked the mentorship needed, you know, to, to really be great. And um, I really feel like how I can have the, the biggest impact on the community and, and on people in general is by helping leaders be effective, helping leaders understand what they need to do to not only get results, you know, for their team and their organization, but also create environments where people feel empowered because if you're working for a leader that's doing a great job that motivates you, you carry that into home, into your family, you carry that into the community, but it also works the other way around. If you work for somebody that, you know, just makes you feel like you're not successful, doesn't recognize your value, you carry that home as well. And going to work every day and feeling like you're not doing a good job is a horrible feeling, right? Um, 
And so I, I really feel like that's, that's just a way I can have an impact. Um, it's something that I've had success with. Um, so I feel like there's always benefit in leveraging strengths. I feel like it's, it's, it's a good fit as far as being a consultant and a coach, you know, it's something that I'm passionate about. So it's, it's, it's been, been a ton of fun. Yeah. I love it. So you know, anybody that's been in the workforce for any amount of time, they're probably going to have that similar experience that you, you did, right. In terms of sometimes you work for somebody who's your boss or who's your supervisor, who's your leader, your manager, whatever we want to call the person with title that they're exceptional. And there's some other ones that you just kind of wonder how in the world did they, did they get into this, this spot? Right. Um, So as you've been digging into it and looking at it and dissecting it, analyzing it, what's your belief on how, how is it that sometimes great leaders are chosen and how other times great leaders just aren't the ones that are they're in the position like how does that happen in in these systems that we work in yeah i think sometimes there's a uh, a perspective of how somebody is doing or, or will do in the role um and I, I think a couple of things happen one sometimes you just pick the wrong person because you see something in them or somebody sees something in them and then when they're put in the role kind of the opportunities take over the stress of the new role takes over um, sometimes there's a lack of consistent development where you might have had a great candidate, but now they're in this new role, they're trying to figure things out and they're kind of drinking through a fire hose. So they struggle and, you know, that, that can be a very stressful situation, especially if they were previously successful in their role. Um, sometimes though, things just change, you know, somebody maybe was a good fit and now something happened to them in their life or they're dealing with something, you know, on a personal level where, you know, just leadership isn't, isn't really a good suit for them. Um, so I always encourage companies and organizations to allow people to take a step back. Uh, I know not, not everybody does that, but I really feel like there's um, not every company puts enough value in onboarding and making sure somebody's set up for success. A lot of time the leader is selected because they were the person that were good at this job. You were a great barista. You showed up every day for work. Um, customers love you. So now you're in a leadership role, but being a leader is entirely different, mm-hmm. is an entirely different skill set than being a great barista. And so I, f- I feel like you see that happen a lot as well, where you're good at this thing. So now let's put you in a leadership role, but there isn't really uh, any sort of a, a plan to address the gaps and skills that are, are, uh, are going to help them transition. Yeah, I love it. I, and I want to keep diving into what you mean by the words that you say, but I want to back up a little bit too. And just <clears throat> so we kind of get a backdrop then of what you're what you're into what you're interested in what does it mean for you to be a leadership coach and consultant like what do you actually do yeah so there's a few different uh, pieces to that um, one is uh, individual coaching sort of being being uh, available for somebody to talk through obstacles they're facing um, to talk through the goals what they're trying to achieve um, and I think when you're so when you're in the mix sometimes it's hard to step back and take perspective get a perspective and that's the role that a coach can really fill and to provide clarity on whether or not the way you're spending your time, your resources, your energy is aligned with the goals that you're trying to, uh, to achieve. Uh, so I feel like in a, kind of in a nutshell, that's how I would describe coaching. Consulting is, is more um, being in the mix, observing one-on-ones, observing meetings, and providing feedback on things that people can be doing to be more effective in their role. And sometimes it's just being a cheerleader and reminding people of the things that they're doing well because if your team's struggling, you might feel like you're doing everything horribly, but that's probably not the case. There's probably just a few small changes you need to make. And so having somebody that can really be an advocate and remind you, you know, how you can leverage your strengths to overcome these obstacles 
um, is also has been incredibly value, valuable for a lot of my clients. Yeah, perfect. And how long have you been doing that? So two years. I've uh, been doing, I've leading customer care and sales teams um, for about 10 years. Uh, two years ago, I had an opportunity to step into a leadership consulting role um, which is, was just been a blessing. And as I did that, I started realizing that there were a lot of um, business owners that would benefit from the exact type of services I, w- I was uh, you know, offering my client. Um, so I kind of transitioned and, and started a private practice consulting as well. Okay, so back to one of the things that you said a little bit ago about um, you know, the skill set between being a great worker and a great leader are two different things. So I'm interested from your take, what is the skill set of a great leader or yeah. na- name some of the skills? That's great. Um, I think it starts with emotional intelligence um, and being able to understand emotions that you're feeling and just be able, able to manage your own emotions. And, and, you know, it's going to be different for everybody what that looks like. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, observing your ripple effects, you know, kind of noticing how people feel or the the environment, how the environment changes when you enter the room and just taking time to really be aware of that and thinking through what impact am I having on this? If you step into a room and one person is being, you know, rude, like that person is probably rude. But if you step into a room and everybody's rude, like you probably have to look at yourself and like what's happening and, you know, what, what am I doing to, to create this environment, especially if you're in a leadership role. Um, and then learning how to manage your emotions, right? Take a step back and preventing yourself from constantly being in a loop of responding to situations based on how you're feeling, but actually being intentional with the, uh, your response. So the uh, kind of the um, idea of reacting versus responding where we don't want to react based on our emotions, but we want to you know, have a thoughtful response that's aligned with our values and our goals. Um, but then taking it a step further and you're being aware of the emotions of the people around us so we can have an impact on those emotions as well. Um, but also having being able to have you know very straightforward and direct conversations around um, gaps, um, you know, skill gaps um, to, to make sure people can get better. There's a kind of a tendency that you see in a lot of new leaders where they kind of avoid those conversations because it can be uncomfortable, you know, telling somebody that they're um, they're 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 not doing something well. But the reality is you're preventing that person from getting better if you're gonna withhold that information so you know just having the ability to be straightforward but also you know making sure that it's coming from a caring place and you're not giving somebody this feedback because you're mad at them or you're trying to attack them but they feel and they understand that you're doing this because you care care about them the the other thing that i really teach people to focus on is leveraging strengths and making sure that when you're hiring somebody to your team or you have somebody on your team you're putting them in a situation where they can be successful I think would be a, be another thing I would add to that list of just kind of core competencies, but then also like time management, right? Understanding how to prioritize as a leader, you're going to have a ton thrown on your plate, but it's going to be up to you to decide, you know, what are the most important tasks? What are the key priorities? What are the decisions I need to make? And then how do I delegate the, the other work? Love it. Yeah. So when you first started there, some of those, some of those skills, I thought mapped on directly to what makes a good employee, but then you kind of tipped into some of the things that separates, you know, the employee to the, to the leader, to the supervisor. And, you know, one of the things that I think is so absolutely true is what, how you described, you got to have some straightforward conversations and you have to be prepared for them to be 
uncomfortable and awkward. And, um, you know, I've been in my agency, I've got 21 years of uh, employment history with them. And I've been a leader since uh, officially by title since 2008. So, you know, I guess that makes that's 12 years goes by. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I read a book along the way um, called Fierce Conversations, and it really kind of rang true to me, you know, about how we just kind of tiptoe and dance around each other in all aspects of our of our life. And like you said, you're not trying to be an asshole, right? but sometimes in that leadership perspective or role, you've got to have the ability to give straightforward feedback, but from a place of care and concern and the best interest of the person receiving that feedback. And I remember when I about three years ago now, when I jumped back into my current role, which is a, was a direct service leadership role in a very tough environment. And my first uh, handful of performance appraisals, there was um, constructive feedback in there. And there was work plans for uh, things that needed to be addressed in terms of deficiencies um, for the coming year. And I had people, they were, they were so mad. They were coming into my office and we, and we talked about it. We had talked about it face to face and face to face that they were like, oh, okay with it. But then they left and they came back, you know, and some of the comments were, is, you know, I've worked in this place for 15 years and nobody's ever given me a negative performance appraisal, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, you know, I would challenge you not to see it as negative performance appraisal, but you know, this is my job is to help you get better at what it is that you're doing. So thoughts yeah. about that and kind of the lackadaisical approach to feedback and then um, cultures where feedback is something where people just run from, like it's, it's, if you give me feedback, oh my gosh, you're going to fire me. So, oh man, I don't know. Thoughts about that. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's something you really have to overcome as, uh, as a, a leader is, um, understanding mm-hmm. that the, your, the, um, your team's perspective of you is often based off their perspective of their previous boss. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that person's previous leader, it might have been like, if you get a negative performance review, like you're probably on your way out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but that shouldn't be the case, right? It should be absolutely part of a culture where feedback is a constant loop where you get feedback, you improve, you recognize for it. All right, let's work on the next thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you kind of mentioned, you know, the, the idea of being a, you know, a good employee and how some of the skills were aligned there. And, and I feel like it's like leadership starts as being a good follower. Leadership starts as being a good peer, right? And getting comfortable providing peer-to-peer feedback, um, having the expectation that everything is going to shift once I get this position is setting yourself up for failure. Like you have this time to get practice and lifting up the people around you, helping them get better, being there as a support system, which, you know, leadership really is serving the people that you are on your team, you know, at, at its core. And you can get get experience and practice doing that at uh, you know at a peer or an employee level, but the the feedback loop is, is essential. I mean, the lack of accountability is going to kill any culture. You don't have that; it erodes trust because people say one thing and they do something else, and then nothing happens. So your top performers feel like, "What's the point? You know, why am I working so hard if um, I'm the only one that has to have to carry all the weight?" Um, so yeah, you you absolutely have to have the uh, the accountability, the, the straightforward conversations. Yeah, I love that point that you make about how uh, if especially if you're new to a team or just new in in a supervisory leadership role that you are carrying the sins, so to speak, of the previous supervisor or that person's experience of being supervised, that you're you're stepping into that. And that's something that I think is true. It's something that I prep um, new leaders and supervisors to kind of give them a heads up around that. And again, that takes another layer of straightforward conversation 
right? And, you know, one of the rules that I've always had for myself is I try to make anything that I put out in writing, in email or, or you know, log entries, um, I try to keep 80% of it, you know, positive and reinforcing of, of the people. And every once in a while, if I, if I can't have a face-to-face conversation, then I'll have to fire off an email for whatever reason. But I try to leave that kind of constructive feedback, you know, to the face-to-face standpoint. But so when somebody gets upset, they'll come to me, I said, look, anything that I've ever written about you has been positive And there's a reason for that. If there, if you have a, if I have a problem with you, a concern, you will know about it because I will bring it to your attention. There's, I'm not going to wait for that eval a year from now to tell you, Oh my gosh, you, you've been deficient, but that whole feedback loop and how do you do it and getting people accustomed to it. And, you know, I want folks to be welcoming feedback. I, mean, I want them to come in the office. What can I do better? How, how can I improve? You know, I, you know, I really screwed up there. How, how could I have done it differently? But that, that takes trust, right? And that takes a bond between a leader and their team. And yeah, it takes them being bought into the vision too, right? right? Yeah, they want, yeah. they want to be better because they want right. this team to get to this goal and they understand they have to be their best for them to happen. Anytime you have a team that's requesting feedback, I mean, you're, you're, you're crushing your goals. Things are looking easy at that point. Right. So that w- was a point that I was going to want to um, bounce off you too. So your company, your team, your agency, whatever it is, you're going to have, if it's worth its salt, you're going to have a, a vision statement. You're going to have a mission statement. You're going to have um, core values and you're going to have key principles, right? However, not everybody that works for you or works on your team is going to be bought into the, they might not even be aware of those things, number one, because that's the, you know, we do a terrible job sometimes about communicating those things down mm-hmm. and then embedding them into our everyday work, making them practical and visible. But my experience is that very seldom, if ever, do you ever have a hundred percent buy-in? Um, I tell my folks that we can be mission forward if we have 60% buy-in. That's just been my experience working in state government. But your thoughts both on the buy-in piece and then what do you do as a leader when you recognize that there's people in your company, in your organization, in your team, maybe even peers at a leadership level um, that aren't bought into the, the vision and mission of, of the, the, the agency or corporation? What, how do you deal with that? <laughs> no, the, uh, this is a, a good question. And I feel like where where I've seen mission and vision statements go wrong is it's not that like the uh, the frontline workers are not bought in; it's the leader isn't bought into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's a strategy session, you go to it, everybody like throw stuff on the whiteboard, you narrow it down, you decide okay, this is what we're focused on for the year, and then you come out of the meeting and the next day like actions aren't aligned to this mission statement or this value. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like it's really important for if, if you want your mission and vision statement to be a priority, which I feel like it definitely should be to have time, you need to have reinforcements set up. So you have a weekly meeting, like focus part of the weekly meeting on what are we doing to bring this alive this week? If you're making decisions, the decisions should be based around are these aligned with our values and our mission statements. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't see that very often in companies. It's usually a conversation that I bring up, uh, I bring up is how will this align with your mission and vision? Like, this is what we talked about, you know, three months ago, what progress has, has been made since then. Um, so it, it really, everything starts at the top. If you're the leader, like you have to put it on, on your shoulders. Um, if things aren't happening, you have to kind of figure out, okay, what am I doing that's preventing us from, from moving forward in this? Sometimes it might be you have the wrong people, you know what I mean? But 
I, I don't think that we start there. I think you start with first looking at, you know, what, what can I do um, to better bring this to life, to better communicate this to my team and make sure that they understand how the actions that we're taking are aligned with, with our values in this mission statement. Yeah. Perfect point. Right. It's gotta, you gotta walk the walk and, you know, talk the talk. Right. And so, um, and, you know, as a leader, if you're not bought in, then you're going to have, you know, team members that, that aren't either. And so it's a point um, very well taken. I, the state of Oregon, I don't know if you're aware, has uh, taken some steps recently to do some intentional leadership equipping. Mm. Um, and so we've had one, we've had one um official you know webinar training live you know live webinar uh, around leadership and you know it's funny because we're all state level managers right various agencies all, all across the board and um one of the questions i think we were in a, like a group of like 15 so you know kind of big but not overwhelmingly big so the question to all of us was is you know what does accountability mean to you and of course i'm aware i'm a a, a rare bird in, in this scenario um but everybody kept talking about how to hold their uh, their direct reports accountable. And they started tipping into the typical things that you might hear, you know, time management, showing up late, you know, uh, not following, you know, we got to hold them accountable. And, you know, I'm very, you know, all this kind of stuff, progressive discipline. And, you know, and it got to me, it got to me, you know, my turn to answer the question. And I said, accountability starts with me. That. I, you know, if I'm not accountable to what my role is and what my responsibilities are and my duties are, then I can't expect anybody else to be accountable either. <laughs> and there was kind of like this silence <laughs> across the group because because uh, that's what I believe. You know, and if I'm not personally accountable to what I'm supposed to be do, doing and what my role is and, and being transparent about that, then there's, I have no business trying to hold somebody else accountable. Yeah. Model the way you have to. <laughs> For the leader, you have to model the way. There's there's no other way around it. Yeah, absolutely. But it's 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 kind of interesting. I think that isn't an uncommon dynamic that if you were to get a bunch of, you know, leaders together and ask them what accountability means to them, I feel, I, you know, I don't think it, it's the normal response to say, well, here's how I hold myself accountable. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Here, here's the, here's the things that I screwed up this week and here's what I'm doing about them in order to be better. I just don't, that's just not where the conversation naturally flows. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember uh, one of my first bosses out of, out of college, I was, working at an industrial supply company and I would show up late to work. And then he would show up like 30 minutes after me. Like I heard you showed up late today. Like you just got here. He's like, well, I've been here 10 years. Like, okay. But yeah. So I agree with that. You have to kind of model the way. Okay. So how common is that? I mean, I deal with that too. That, that idea that years of service somehow gains you more latitude for poor behavior. Yeah. It's, it's insane to me, but I think that you, uh, you have a, systems in place that allow people to develop bad habits and you have to figure out what are those systems how do we replace them with processes and systems that are gonna you know make sure people aren't you know because a lot of leadership is just keeping people focused on the task at hand people are distracted they have their lives they're there for eight hours and they want to go home which is you know which is awesome that's, that's what we want for them also but um they're not coming to work like inspired by the company's mission necessarily. Mm -hmm. They're coming to work because I have this job. I need to take care of things at home. So we have to figure out how do we keep them focused on the task at hand while they're here. Um, I don't remember the question. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're doing good. Just the, you know, <laughs> that idea of um, how, you know, account something that I've been saying lately, everybody, everybody wants accountability 
for other people. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, most people, when the accountability uh, lens is, is pointed at them, they don't want it then, right? They, they, yeah. want, they want accountability for other people. <laughs> Usually I talk to a business owner and they'll want me to work with somebody else. And I've learned I have to have the conversation with them. Like if this is happening at that level, there's probably something we're going to have to talk about at your level as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, I hired them to do this and this. Like, that's fine. But if this is happening, like we're going to need to figure out, you know, what, what changes is going to be required some change from you as well. And uh, I avoided those conversations at first and it set me up for failure working with a new yeah. client. So I quickly learned, like have that conversation <laughs> up front because yeah. it's, it, it all starts at the top. It always does. Yeah, absolutely. I have a background in being a, you know, a child uh, therapist. And I learned that quickly as well is that sooner than later, you got to have a conversation with the parents, right? You, mm. you can, you can work with the kids, but you know, somehow, some way this is linked back to 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 the parents involved in this situation and you know and some parents just weren't down for it and they would move on but that's yeah. just just what i saw you know? yeah no there's a, so many correlations between leadership and parenting yeah absolutely absolutely um I, i'm having fun with this hopefully we can just keep rolling and bouncing um examples off uh each other so a couple of thoughts that i had too is um you know there were several times in my career where I was passed over for promotion and, and opportunities where I got to circle back. And in, in my case, it was people that I had worked with for years, even decades. And then when I would circle back around to them and just kind of have a, a non-threatening, just, you know, calm conversation about it, sometimes even years after the fact, this is what I was told. Nick, I didn't hire you because I knew that you would quickly move up through the through the ranks and through the system. So I didn't want to waste my time hiring you when I knew that you weren't going to be here in a year or whatever it was, right? Okay. <laughs> and so in our system, there's this tendency about, you know, hiring beneath you, right? So you want to hire somebody who's skill-wise and maybe intelligent-wise is beneath you. So that way you're not threatened by them. And you don't want to, you don't want to hire an up-and-comer because they're just going to leave you anyway. And in, in my position right now, I'm just the opposite, right? You know, I, I, I jump at the chance to hire somebody who's got more experience, you know, has better skills than I do because I want to learn from them. And, and if this experience working for me in, on the teams that I lead um, is a stepping stone for you, I'm good with that. Like, I, I want you to come here, get the best experience that you can get get as much from me as you can get. And then if you choose to move on and leave our agency, I would rather have that because that person's going to leave on a positive note and they're going to tell anybody that they come in contact with, go work there. Look where it got me versus you don't invest. You don't give them the opportunity. You kind of put this wet, you know, cold blanket on them to keep them there. And then they burn out and then they finally leave. And then they're, what are they telling people about your agency and company now? Like, don't go work there. It's not worth it. So, yeah. you know, thoughts about that, you know, hiring people th- that are perceived as being beneath you or above you or dancing around. Well, they're just going to use this as a stepping stone. So why bother? Yeah. Do, do I mean, you run into that? Um, I don't think to that degree I've run into it or somebody's that transparent around the fact, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sure there are some, some thoughts, um, but that's just terrible. And I'm trying to even like wrap my head around that perspective <laughs> because ideally if somebody's on your team, like you should want them, it, sh- it should be a stepping stone, right? Yeah. 
where they use this, they do something great, and they look back at the time, they talk to people about, you know, what an amazing experience it was working for this person, for this this team, or, you know, whatever the situation is. And especially with social media, and like, I, I think that companies don't put enough value on the mm -hmm. PR that you get mm -hmm. from your employees. Yeah. Like the investment you make in your employees um, and creating these amazing moments for them is giving them things to share, to talk about yeah. in social media, which is going to help sales, but also it's a recruiting tool to get, you know, to get other top performers because people are going to want to be part of that culture. They're not going to be wanting part of a culture where somebody is like not promoting you because they think you're, you're going to do too good at the job. Yeah. And does that person even care about their performance? If they're more concerned about somebody's uh, being too talented, you're going to do too good of a job. Yeah. So why would you, if I, I'm the Blazers, <laughs> if I can have LeBron James for one year, I'm taking him for one year. Even if I know he's going to go to Cleveland, go back to Cleveland or whatever. Like I want LeBron James on my team for one year because I, you know, why would you pass up on, on something like that? We may have to edit that out. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. You. It's like we don't we don't want this blazer. We don't want Lakers talk. <laughs> that's, uh, that's too funny. No, but I get your point there. And, but I'll give you a more even more recent case example. So we had a in the and I work corrections. Just you know, people listen to the podcast know that I work corrections, state level corrections, and um, we had a gentleman interview with us over the period of about eighteen months, maybe even two years. And he was a retired warden from the Federal Bureau of Prisons so at the federal level. So, you know, Sheridan has a federal prison um, and he had been a warden at at least three other uh, federal uh, facilities. And he got passed over two or three times. And the times where it wasn't I wasn't the hiring manager, you know, but I told my boss, I said, if, if he shows up at one of my interviews and I'm the hiring manager, I'm going to hire him. You know, and so I did. And it has been such a blessing to introduce him and, you know, 30 plus years of experience, high level, you know, high profile exposure, media, union, all that kind of stuff. And he's here and he's such a blessing to to our. But I think, you know, there was a head there was a hesitancy to hire him. You know, what would other people think? You know, what the people who think they're in line for the promotion, they bring this in. What's that going to do? And that whole he's gonna he's gonna think we're a bunch of idiots and like you know I don't know I I'm not saying that that's what what went through people's yeah. minds yeah but like I said I hired him for a selfish reason because I want to learn from him <laughs> yeah that's awesome and I think that you're kind of uh, painting the the dichotomy of fixed mindset versus, versus growth mindset right mm -hmm. where you have the perspective of I'm gonna learn from this person he's gonna push me I'm gonna get better because <laughs> of it and the other side of the coin you have people who are like well, what, what, how's this going to make me look, mm -hmm. right? I don't want to look this way. I'm not really cared about how I'm performing. I'm not care. I don't think I can get better anyway. So I'm not even going to try, but I'm just trying to protect this image I have of myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a, I mean, yeah, you have the right focus, right? Mm -hmm. How can I, how can I use this opportunity to get better? Right. But even yeah. for me, like in the stepping into the telecommunications industry where, where I, I, I still work and um, as a consultant now, I do remember now my first job, the first interview, I thought it was just going to be a, like a, a job I'd have for now. I was trying to get a graphic design industry start, uh, uh, agency started at the time. And after the interview, they brought me back. Like, you have a college degree. Like, why are you here? So I, I do remember now that you bring this up, that I even kind of had a similar experience where they were kind of like, you're kind of overqualified for this position. And <laughs> fortunately, they, they, gave, they gave me a shot and it worked mm -hmm. out pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another, and I love getting your take on these things. So, um, 
I think one of the, the most important things that a leader can do is admit when they don't know the answer to something, right? And one of the most powerful things you can do is say, I don't know. Um, versus some people think that a leader is supposed to know everything. And I think people who are, are in leadership think that they're supposed to know everything. And so when they come across something that they don't know what the answer is or what the response is or their strategy is, they just make it up or they just say something, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, I was responding, I was helping somebody that I'm, I'm helping along and they were frustrated because what am I supposed to tell them if I don't know the answer? Like you tell them, I don't know. You know, thanks for bringing that up. I don't know. And I'll find out and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. And if you can yeah. put, put a deadline, I'll get back to you, you know, by the end of the work in two days, that's mm -hmm. what you do. And that's what will build so much more out of that experience versus you getting frustrated because you don't know the answer. But thoughts on that leaderships leaders and being able to admit when they don't know the answer. Yeah. And I think that even when they do know the answer, it's, uh, it's dangerous to always just provide answers because you want to create problem solvers. You mm -hmm. don't want to create people who create problems and then bring them to you. Um, yeah. I'll give an example. When I was, uh, I managed a retail team and somebody called me on the weekend, like, hey, this guy had a, a thing that you know, was messed up. He wants a $10 credit. What should we do? I was like, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, I think we should do it. We messed up. I was like, all right, we'll just do it. Like, don't call me on my weekend for a $10 credit. Like, just take <laughs> care of it. It's fine. Um, but it's those sort of, uh, it kind of goes back to the uh, the previous example we talked about as far as like experience with previous leaders where yeah. probably the manager at that point was like, you need to call me for every dollar for whatever right. reason. Um, so kind of just helping people understand it. But getting back to the, uh, the question on knowing everything, like leaders should be transparent. And I think the fact that you acknowledge, I don't know something, but you do just lifts up your team, mm -hmm. right? And like you have sub subject matter experts on your team who you can go to, which instills confidence in them where now even their peers maybe are going to start talking to them about, you know, these particular issues where they are you know better educated, but also takes work off your plate, right? If you're trying to solve every problem, make every decision, your team's not going to be as efficient because you have this bottleneck that's created that everything has to go through you as opposed to empowering people to make decisions. Um, and, you know, sometimes they make mistakes. That's going to be part of it. You coach, you develop, people get better. Um, but you need to be really you know, intentional around, you know, what are the decisions I want to make and then being free to you know, empower the people on your team to, to problem solve and, and make decisions on their own. Yeah, absolutely. If you, are you familiar with Liz Wiseman and multipliers book? Yeah. Yes. Big that's, fan. that's, that's yeah. one of my books. Like anybody asked me to make a book on readers, leadership, like that's always on the top of the list. Mm -hmm. So that concept about being, what is it? Uh, an accidental, accidental diminisher. diminisher. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I, when I read that, I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm so guilty of some of these, you know. We all are, right? Yeah. In moments. And I think that's what I like about the book. It's not, are you or are you not? Like, mm -hmm. there's just, it's a sliding scale. And sometimes we're going to kind of slip into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, that, when you, you said you got you got to create problem solvers, you know, and I'm uh, um, so, so much aligned with that. And, you know, so, so many people, and especially in, in this climate right now that we're in COVID-19 and essential workers and that kind of stuff that, you know, people are so paralyzed about, you know, paranoid about losing their job, right? Because they, they understand just how important this job is now, especially when <laughs> probably compared to their friends and families, you know, it's one thing to be an essential worker and be forced to go to work or, you know, 
but it's also a blessing that you actually have, you know, a way of continuing to, to build income. Anyway, so people get concerned, like every little question, if I don't know the answer, I better do the right thing. So if I do the wrong thing, I'm going to get fired. Right. And like, how do you, how do you help people, you know, uh, shape that mindset out of their, you know, their, their teams? I think part of it is how you handle it when somebody does make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Because if you say, hey, this culture is about honesty and transparency, and you, if you have a problem, bring it to me, and then somebody does it, and you know you lose it because you're stressed out at, at that moment, and you start yelling at people, or you know you uh, you get a little too ambitious with the accountability, and if you let somebody go for something, and there of course are reasons people should be fired. So I'm not saying that's the case, mm -hmm. but a lot of it is going to be based on how you respond because you might feel like it's not a big deal, but people are always watching, people are always talking. And how, and another thing to be aware of is that how you feel a conversation went is potentially going to be much different than how the person you're talking to feels. So um, just kind of you know being aware of that pers perspective also, and just really being intentional around how is this person understanding the things that I'm saying and being real transparent, you know, as far as context, you know, I'm talking to you. I don't want this to be something where you're feeling bad about it. There was a mistake you dropped the ball i just want to make sure we learn from it so we can be better next time i know mm -hmm. this is not something that normally happens um and so I, I feel like that's really how you um, create the culture it's one with what you say but most important it's what you do mm -hmm. yeah learning and improving from our mistakes is about all we can ask you know it's a, it can be a problem if you keep making the same mistake over and over again exactly right? but exactly learning and improving improving you know one of the as you know, I'm, you know, I've been a, I guess I would fit the category of a voracious reader, consumer of content. And uh, for me, you know, Jocko Willink's uh, book, uh, Extreme Ownership, really kind of resonated with me. And uh, I, I still pull from it <clears throat> almost every single day, you know, but I tell, you know, in my situation, I've got, you know, about 19 direct reports. I've got in correction environment, I've got three living units. So I got 48 kids that I'm directly responsible for. Wow. <clears throat> and what I tell them is staff and the, and the kids, any, everything that you do and you say, I own 100% because it's either something I've told you to do. It, it's either something that I've trained you to do, or it's a, a, a lack thereof in both of those things. Right. And so within reason, you know, anything that you do, I, I'm going to own. Right. It's either mm -hmm. either I didn't make it clear enough for you. Um, I didn't spend enough time enough with you. Um, I didn't give you enough examples or get, how do you extrapolate this point into something else? Uh, I so I'm not looking to, to roll anybody's heads. I'm not looking to shift any blame. When my boss says what happened on that unit, I said, I, I own it. I take care of it. Here's the plan. Here's how I'm going to address it. Here's here's how we're going to move forward. I'm not going to say, well, I told that guy 15 times. And he just, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts about that extreme ownership. And I like it. <laughs> you know, I think, I think that's, that's the mentality you have to have. And I think the, uh, where people struggle sometimes is um, where they put their focus on ownership, because if you put your focus on things that are outside of your control, you're just going to be stressed out. <laughs> Like I can't mm -hmm. own the weather, right? The weather mm -hmm. is outside of my control. There's decisions that are going to be made that there might be like, I can talk to my boss about it. You know what I mean? And there's ways I can be strategic and having influence. But if, I, if I'm only focusing on the de decision that was already made, which I can't impact, I'm going to be miserable, right? So I think you really have to focus on what are the things I have control over? Um, what are the things I have influence, I can influence? 
And when we've put our focus there, our circle of influence expands, right? And we actually yeah. have a have a greater impact. Yeah. But at the same point, like making sure you are focusing on, you know, what do I own in this situation? How do I use it as an opportunity to get better? Mm -hmm. And I think that links back to one of your skills that you that you mentioned, you know, around um, time management and how do you prioritize? So I think that's also a big thing that great leaders understand and maybe people who are considering leadership don't understand or it scares them is that I that thing is, is that. You know, there's going to be a hundred things on your plate every single day, but there's probably only five or 10 things that you actually have the ability to influence or control or to, or to shift. Mm -hmm. And a good leader is going to look, or an experienced leader is going to look at the, the 95 things and be like, yeah, not much I can do about that right now, you know, and just focus on the five things. But there's a lot of people that look at the hundred things and like, holy crap, I just can't do anything. Does that, does that yeah. make sense? You know, that, yeah, that absolutely. Yeah. It gets becomes overwhelming, right? And then you're not you're not doing anything because you're so focused on, on everything. Yeah. Um, I had somebody show me their to do list. It was like 200 things. Like <laughs> right. that's a to don't list. Right. Like what are the things you're actually gonna do? <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah. And yeah, because you can't make that many decisions. I mean, even in a week without the actual work required, like trying to make just the mental work to, for that entire list, it's it's impossible. And yeah. so I feel like what you have to do is what are the most impactful actions? Mm -hmm. What are the things that are most critical for my business? Um, sometimes it's going to be the first domino where I know if I do this thing, like these other mm -hmm. things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I love that perspective. And and I think it also ties back in into though around the difficult conversations part of it, because, you know, back to the hundred things on the plate, well, there might be, and you're going to focus on five and say no to the 95. <clears throat> well, you may have to have 95 difficult conversations telling somebody who thought that thing was super important, why it is that you're not focusing on it or didn't that day does that make sense so there's going to be somebody says, why did you do this okay let, let me explain it you know I'll, I'll let you know well that makes sense okay so you know it's not yeah. that your thing isn't important right but here's here's you know mission or whatever it is you know so sometimes saying no not sometimes most of the time saying no to something means that you're going to have to have a difficult conversation somewhere along the line okay i like that mm -hmm. and, and i think that's part of what again um some people come by that uh, ability naturally sometimes you kind of have to you know build skill into it uh, but that's what i see a lot of like I, how am i going to tell that person no they're going to be mad at me yep they might be mad at you yeah you have to work <laughs> through that Absolutely. what's the other yeah. option yeah never say no to this person right yeah yeah i love that to don't list that's that's so true right <laughs> <laughs> i need to write that one down so yeah. Well. yeah write that well, maybe i'll pull it out for the, the snippet for this there you go <laughs> <laughs> awesome um Another thing that plagues companies, organizations, agencies, leaders is burnout, mm. both, both you know, from a leadership perspective and from a, an employee perspective. What's your take on burnout? What is it? How, how can we avoid it? How do we help people in burnout? Tell me about burnout from your vantage point. So I think as leaders, we need to establish refresh time for ourselves. Right. And I think the, uh, the idea of like, I don't take lunches, I don't take breaks is, <laughs> is terrible. Um, I mean, take a break because you're going to be more effective at the end of the day. If you do, you're not going to be able to just power through eight hours of extreme focus on doing you know, everything that needs to get done. Um, so I think that's, that's really where, where it starts. And I feel like in the startup community, like they are just spread so thin where like they're just working insane amount of hours and you're going to you're going to hit your breaking point at some time. Right. It's going to be different for everybody. 
But uh, I, I think for everybody, it's establishing micro refresh times within your day. And maybe it's just time to like step away and put, put a song on that you like to kind of, you know, refresh your energy a little bit, but then also finding t- things that you, you do that you, you enjoy, you know, I, and, um, I don't think that we have enough uh, focus in society on the idea of joy and something I've, I'm going to take a little bit of a tangent here, but something I've been focusing on a ton is kind of the idea of joy and success with our time because I feel like you kind of have to sacrifice one for the other mm-hmm. in occasions. Um, I think when we do things that we're passionate about, we are able to, you know, success and joy are more aligned, but there still are times where we have to make those sacrifices if we want to make these big ambitious goals happen for ourselves. Um, but I think that it's important to be aware of the fact that you need to incorporate some, some joy into your life do some things just because they're fun mm-hmm. and not everybody struggles with that. I think some people err on the other side where it's too much <laughs> about the immediate gratification and you aren't thinking long-term enough, but everybody's going to have a different perspective on, you know, where the appropriate place is in that, in that sliding scale. Yeah. It's that, it's that adage that you can't pour from an empty cup. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Right. You have to put the, uh, the oxygen mask on yourself mm-hmm. first and the air- airlines is another analogy I, mm-hmm. I hear pretty often, but Absolutely. Yeah. Because you're going to be better for your team, especially if you're a leader. If you're burnt out, you're stressed, like nobody wants to work with you. Yeah. You, know, you may feel like you're just like killing it, but if you're feeling that, like nobody's going to want to work with you. And it gets back to the emotional intelligence that we talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've worked myself lately in a, a couple areas where people can feel disempowered to make decisions when I'm not there. And that's something that I'm working on. And I am, uh, I've, I know it and realize it, but long story short, um, through the kind of the front end of COVID and not knowing what the, the reality was going to be, not knowing how long the lockdown was going to be. And, and once we learned that the kids weren't going back to school, uh, we burned up uh, a big chunk of our timeshare points. So we just, I took long, big, long weekends, you know, left on a Thursday, came back on a Tuesday and, and did that about you know, three times in a row, took the kids, you know, in places to, you know, around Oregon that we would have never gone to before, but we had great. the timeshare was available and we had the point. So we went. And so the comment was made. So I have, I manage three managers too. So that's kind of the, the layer that I'm mm-hmm. there. And so um, the comment was made around one day when I was gone, well, next gone again. So we can't make a decision. And one of my leaders spoke up and said, no, we can make a decision. Nick's going to be okay with whatever we decide when he's not here. And in fact, I appreciate that he is taking time in, in this in this tough experience that we're all in. And, you know, when I came back to work and she told me about that, I was like, thank you. You know, and, and that's kind of meant a, a ton for me. But it also gave me that piece of realization that I want people to feel disempowered when I'm not there. But the people who work closest to me were able to carry my message forward. So, yeah, I just thought that was um, uh, came to my mind when you were talking about you know bringing joy to your life and modeling that. It's okay. Yeah, I think it really just kind of a is a testament to the type of relationships you have with your people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier, you had brought up a point around uh, like blaming your employees and things aren't going well. I, usually, it's the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. We blame our boss when things aren't going well. Right. Um, so it's cool to hear that you know that wasn't the case and somebody was not unafraid to to stand up and yeah. you know, have your back. Yeah, absolutely. When I, I, I've thought a lot about burnout, especially because again, corrections, it can be a tough grind. It is a tough grind. And um, that 
you know, taking care of yourself is huge. And some of my most recent thoughts about burnout comes around two things. So I want to bounce these off of you and see, you know, what you think. And it's, it's totally okay. You don't need to, if you think I'm crazy, let me know. But I, I think burnout is about two things. It's about when an employee, no matter where you're at in the, in the hierarchy there, um, loses your sense of purpose and value for the work that you do. Um, meaning uh, what, you know, again, in our work with people, it can be really tough to see the outcome of all the work that you do, right? Because these kids are only with us for, you know, a handful of years at the most to six months to nine months on the shortest clip, and then they're gone. And you don't get to see, you know, the fruits of the labor, so to speak, right? And so you're doing that day in and day out, and you're, you're dealing with the cuss words, and you're, you know, you're being assaulted, and you're de- dealing with coworkers who don't show up, and you have to work extra hours. And, you know, so you, you, you lose sight of the purpose. What am I doing here? Right. And then value is, you know, you come into the job and it's paying you money. And hopefully if things are uh, a, a clean slate when you start, it's taking care of your bills. It's, you know, it's putting food on the table. It's giving you a little extra spending money. But as time goes on and based on your decisions that you make, um, I see oftentimes the salary doesn't actually take care of the people anymore because they've they're overextended. They bought a house that's bigger than what they need. They have, you know, a, a car that they don't need. And so now they're forced to work overtime just to keep up. Right. And so the, the, the value there, um, you know, your wife's on your case, you know, or your husband's on your case because you're not making enough money and all, you know what I mean? And so the value starts to erode. And so that's what I see is the, the, the two, the two hit combo, the two punch combo for, for the burnout knockout is when you lose purpose and value for, for the work that you do. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. No, that's great. I love those. And I think two things that are related to both, and maybe it's, I think purpose and value, maybe the strategy, then the tactics would be development and recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, uh, the recognition and, and um, anytime I, I hear a company is struggling with culture where they feel like the people aren't happy um, my question is like, so tell me about your recognition and mm-hmm. development plans. Like, what are you guys doing there? Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do you know these plans are being executed on? Mm-hmm. Because you want to value people. We need to develop. We need to invest in them. Um, but also we want to recognize them when things are going well. Mm-hmm. If you have these goals that just never come, the goals keep changing. And there's never like a moment of like, well, you did this one. You did a great job here. Like, and then recognition, how people you know want it is going to be different. But same thing for development. Um, like how are they getting better because their work for you, I think yeah. are, are two things that tie in perfectly to what you're talking about. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Jake, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I know people are going to get a ton out of it. Um, some final thoughts from you for people who are new into leadership, maybe they're being considered for a promotion into leadership. Um, what would you tell them to do in how to be prepared, how to, how to hit the ground running, so to speak? What would be your advice for somebody who's in that scenario? So I'll say two things. One, learn how to be an incredible listener, mm-hmm. be an engaged, be an active listener. Um, never stepped into a, step into a conversation, assuming you know everything. Always you know, step into a conversation, assuming you have something to learn. Be curious instead of critical. You know, when people are, are talking mm-hmm. to you and really come from a place of wanting to understand them. 
Um, the second piece I, I, I'd offer is nobody's ever left a job because they felt too appreciated. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never happened. Nobody comes yeah. to work like, oh, stop saying thank you all the time. <laughs> uh, it doesn't happen. Um, you want to be sincere, right? You don't want to come across fake, but learn gratitude, like make gratitude a focus. One, just for yourself, things that you appreciate, but then also verbalizing and being intentional about making sure the people around you understand what you appreciate about them. Um, something I do in almost every workshop to get started is I ask people to take out their phones and send a text message to somebody, just letting them know and reminding them of, of why you appreciate them um, because getting those messages feels really good. Mm -hmm. But the other side of it, expressing gratitude puts us in a, in a good mental space mm -hmm. as well. So, I mean, it, it works on, on both cases, but I, I leave with those two things. One, become an exceptional listener. Two, um, you know, double down on gratitude and really think through what am I doing to, uh, to express gratitude to the people around me. Yeah, love it. And I think that I, I totally agree with those things. And I think that those are things that get lost oftentimes when people think about what is a leader supposed to do, you're supposed to make decisions, you know, supposed to prioritize and map everything out and hire and fire, you know, but we lose sight of those things that are actually what makes somebody um, a, a, an exceptional leader. I think people step into leadership roles thinking the expectation is I'm going to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty, that's a, that's a tough road to walk down. I mean, there's a lot of frustration ahead mm -hmm. of you if that's your approach. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I think, I don't know who said it, but there's kind of a famous quote, like a, um, when you, when you spend time with a not so good leader, they let you know how important they are. When you spend time with an exceptional leader, they let you know how important you are. Love that. And, yeah. And I try to be mindful of that when I'm having my, my meetings with folks. That's important, man. I love yeah. it. <laughs> um, for folks that are interested in connecting with you and learn more about what you do and maybe how you can help them, where can they find you out there, Jacob? Awesome. Yeah, website is jacobespinoza.com and uh, super engaged on Twitter and Instagram. So send me a message. I'd love to hear from you at Mr. Jacob Espy. Perfect. And <clears throat> give us a little bit of a taste of what it's going to look like should somebody reach out to you and they start working with you maybe on a one-to-one on -one coaching level what's that what's that going to look like for them yeah absolutely so generally i'll meet with people twice a month it just kind of depends on on their needs but just really talk through what are your goals what do you want to accomplish i think especially right now if we're heading into a new year people are really mm -hmm. are really doubling down and you know being intentional and thinking through like what can i do different what changes can i make and you know we're going to make sure that you're you're taking the right steps. Uh, you know, as a coach, I'm going to be somebody that's going to call you out, going to have tough conversations with you, um, but also be there to, to pick you up when that's what what's needed. So, it's a, yeah, I'd love to hear for, from a, from a few people, and you know, reach out on social media is, is always a great way to get the conversation started. Love it. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated the conversation, and I do wish you a very happy new year. You as well, Nick. Thank you. Yeah. Wow, that was just a awesome conversation. I loved that back and forth that I had with Jacob Espinosa and I loved everything that he brought to me and to you on the topic of leadership. As always, if you want to get a hold of Jacob, you want to connect with him, I will put all of the relevant links in the show notes for this episode. In order to get the show notes, you got to go over to my website, which is www.nixotello.com forward slash T-U-L podcast. When you're over at my website, 
I have three opportunity buttons and what those buttons are is they allow me to give you information. Information about what, Nick? Well, let me tell you. Information about how you might be able to add some extra income into your monthly scenario. $500, $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 a month. Whatever your need is, I can show you how to add extra income. Another opportunity button up there is gonna be all about CBD. And I would love to give you information about how you could add CBD to your life. This is 0.0% THC brand of CBD. So that way you don't have to worry about anything at work, anything that may conflict with your own ethics and morals regarding THC because this CBD doesn't have any of it in it. And finally, the last opportunity button is a way for you to schedule a 30-minute strategy session with me. We'll use that time together for me to get to know you a little bit more about what's going on in your life. And I will give you some simple steps that you can take immediately after we're done to get going on your goals. Finally, another urging that if you like this episode, you're enjoying this podcast, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a five-star review, and use your fingers and your keys on your keyboard to leave me a written review, because that is what tells the podcast gods that I'm doing something right. And it also tells people around the world that, hey, they should check out this podcast too. So I would much, much, much appreciate you showing me that kind of support. And I return that to you because I truly am grateful for all of you that tune into this show, that have made this a regular part of what you do, that have made my message and the message of the guests that I bring on part of what you're using to upgrade your life. That warms my heart. So thank you very much. You've just invested an hour or so of time into your life and so I'm going to urge you to do something with it. Take some action. Do something that's going to help you to realize and reach your potential. This is Dr. Nick Sotelo and I'll see you on the next show.